Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 200 of Putting It Together, the Creative Conversations podcast. Thanks for coming along, and uh, thanks for sticking with us. If you're new, welcome. Don't worry, sit down. We were all just telling everyone a bit about ourselves. Um, If you've been here for a while, thanks for hanging about. This is the 200th episode of this podcast, and normally what I say is, and all other 199 episodes are in the archive for you to listen to for free, but... At the moment, I can't say that with absolute truth because we've had some website problems. Some of you, well, a lot of you, I think, will have noticed. So we're on the way to having everything restored. The website is back up, which is how you're able to hear this episode. But we lost about three months of the archive in the mix. It, we didn't lose it. It's still around. We just have to restore it and put it in place. So that'll be back soon. Um, and the most recent episodes will be will be back. In the meantime, this is episode 200. So... What have we got in store? Um, well, producer Aaron, being a very bright chap that he is, suggested that we have a look back at some of our favourite bits from more recent times. So we've kind of divided it into two magical episodes. Um, and the first one is Putting It in Isolation, which is going to be this episode. It's going to be a look back at some of the greatest moments, we think, um, of the episodes that we've done during lockdown, during the pandemic. And then... Next week, we're going to go into putting it in the shed, and it's going to be the best moments from all the Shedcast series, which of course was within the pandemic, but was again a little bit different. So uh, next week, that's technically 201, but we continue our celebration. Um, Now, after that, we're going to have a short break. It's probably going to be about four weeks. Um, I've got a lot of stuff coming up, and I've never had a break, and I decided I'm going to have a break. So there you go. I'm looking forward to being able to do episodes face to face, and I, I kind of want to, I kind of want to put off until I can do that, um, and just have a few weeks where where I don't have the pressure to get an episode out. Um, but I trust that you'll stick with us, that you'll enjoy looking back through the archive, listening back through the archive, I should say, and uh, and then you'll come back and join us for the next bit of the journey because we've we've got hundreds more to make. I hope. Um, so yeah. This week and next, we've got a very special treat in store for you. And following that, we'll have a little bit of a hiatus and uh, I'll have a wee rest and also do loads of other work. And then we'll be back. So, where to begin? Let's start energetically, shall we? Let's start with Tory Burgess telling us all about Pride and Prejudice, sort of. I had a great time talking to Tory. I loved the show Pride and Prejudice, sort of. Everything about it. And the energy of the show came through in this interview I think and it, whether or not you've seen it I think it's it's exciting to hear about um, and Tori's just yeah a, a great oh, I keep saying the word energy but you know um, a great spirit and um, speaks with with passion and eloquence about her work so I think that's a good place to start here we go it's me and Tori Burgess and we are putting it together Tell me a little bit about about the process of, of um, creating that show. I'm interested in how much involvement everyone had and where it all started because you've been with it since the beginning, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So I guess working with that show, Isabel had written this brilliant text and when we did it at the Tron the first time, we were presented with this, this amazing text that had us kind of in floods of tears, like laughing and crying and all, you know, mm. it, it was so joyous. But we had no idea what it was or what it, you know, what it looked like to an audience. And to be honest, we didn't really understand how funny it was. 
um, until we first did our preview at the Tron and we were like, oh, wow, this thing works. We've made a thing that works. But it was very collaborative. It, you know, it's, it started at the beginning with literally moving furniture around, you know, like Anna Inez had done this brilliant design, but we kind of built it ourselves with all the extra bits that went beyond that. Right. And in a in a rehearsal room at the Tron, like we went, oh, this could be cool. This uh, piano stool, we could open it, we could put a mirror in it and things like that. So just starting at like a very base level of what does this play look like? What is the space that we exist mm -hmm. in? And I think having a bit of ownership over that from the beginning as an ensemble, it belongs to you. I think, I don't know if you agree, but it's quite difficult maybe sometimes if you're in a show and they go, this is the design, this is where you sit, this is da 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 And then it, things can become quite hard to remember. It doesn't belong to you in the way yeah. that, you know, so having like, oh, maybe you can move this here and then this can become this thing. And there really was no rules. Um, and I think another thing that was really great was we trained as an ensemble. Like we did lots of running around the space for ages. At the time, I was like, please, can we stop this? But it... <laughs> you always are. Like, oh, fuck, I want to go home. <laughs> like, oh, please, why are we running again in bare feet? Can I please put my trainers on? So we did, you know, we did. And so there was only five of us and we would, we would just do lots of like playful, like running, breathing, all the kind of stuff that you think, what a load of wank. And then you do it and then you get into it. And then you really do respond like a little shoal of fish to every single person's movement. And then yeah. once you start devising in there and playing and having fun and everything that to me theatre should be, which is playful, enjoyable and for an audience, you're like, oh, okay, like this, this just feels quite natural now, yeah. I think. But is, I mean, it's interesting because a show like that, as much as I have to agree with you when I'm doing the running around in the bare feet, I'm like, oh my God, but... <laughs> I saw that show and I can honestly, this is not just like, you know, journalist talk or whatever. I, you can see it. You can feel that that yeah. was useful and that you're, you know, this cohesive company. It's a real thing. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it's cool. And it, and it works. And even I do a lot of work with like young people and things like that. And even taking those sort of base level exercises and applying them yeah. to them on any on a bigger scale as well, like working with like groups of like 20, 25, it exactly works. Yeah. And it's just, everything is, people People should have a little bit of ownership on an, in an ensemble. Everybody should be kind of responsible for something and working together. And that's why for me, like it doesn't matter who you work with. It could be a company of elders. It could be us. Uh, it could be a group of young people. If you just apply like giving them a little bit of responsibility and having fun and playing, you, you really do set yourself to a win. Mm. Um, that's also not to say, like, Pride and Prejudice, the first time, was the hardest thing I've ever made. There was tears, there was stress, there was, you know, it was not a doddle. It, mm. we, we were all in that way that you mm. get where you, you're making a show and you think, what what is this? Is this good? You know, where you're like week three. This is never going to work. <laughs> like, I hate this. <laughs> Maybe yeah, you know, ever. yeah. I, we weren't even. I don't even think we were having those moments at week three. <laughs> we were just like so up, up to like the eyeballs going like, but how can I move this chair? You know how? <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, I forgot to move the chair again. And I um like put my hands up. I made so many mistakes because I was so stressed in in the first kind of 
three, four weeks, you know, we'd be running and running. I was doing so much stuff in the show, mm. like so much lifting and moving. And I remember like writing out my track and it was, I think it was like 3,000 words. <laughs> I had track. to give like, yeah, I had to give our stage manager my, my track of all my movements and all this kind of stuff. And it was like a seven page document. Uh, that I had to write on a train journey when I was going to this wedding down south. Oh. And I just remember sitting there for four and a half hours writing it all out and going, oh my God, I have to do this next week and people are paying to see it. <laughs> uh, and I can't remember it. But it once it becomes, you know, muscle memory, it's like a little dance and you just, you think, oh gosh, oh, I've moved that chair so well. Or, oh, yeah, yeah. I, really, I really threw that confetti and like, oh, and then you start to be able to play with it, have fun, give it a bit of, vigor is that the word yes, I don't I know think so. well it's one of them yeah <laughs> yeah so it's I think as as a as a framework once you get beyond that kind of where am I moving where do I need to be uh and you can start to have fun and play within it you you it's great and it's it's such a joy to make people laugh and yeah. cry and all those things and just have a good night out it's what, what it's all about really isn't yeah, it it's a good night out and and also it kind of there's a joyfulness in in the theatricality of it which which mm -hmm. i feel we don't see enough of now you know like that kind of unashamed performing and you all no. reveling and taking on these big characters which i i get a lot of joy out of that too i think so and i think that's now we're looking at uh, women in black aren't we talking about the simplest tricks well i mean it's that's you've done the segue this time but i appreciate that thank you yes well there's loads of wonderful tricks in that yeah um, and it, uh, how did you have much knowledge of it before you went into that show well, well yeah i went to see it obviously a couple yeah. of times um but did you go to see it on on the understanding that you were auditioning for it or did you know anything about it before uh do 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 no i think i went i think no i was gone to see it originally uh you know i have to own up to a bit of what is it? It's not favoritism. It's not nepotism. It's some it's some kind of ism. Um, but I do know the I do know I do know the director. Yeah, Robin. I mean, I've known Robin for years, and Robin was in it at the time, and he was, oh, he was in, in London. It? Yeah, he's, oh, he's done both parts. Oh, cool. Uh, well, he's done it mainly abroad, actually. He's done it mm -hmm. in Japan and all kinds of things. And um, but he was in it at that stage for some short period, and I was in London, and and we, and I said, oh, I must come and see it. So I went to see a, a matinee, but there was no nothing about actually being in it at that stage. Yeah. And and you and we have to be quite careful, Brian, as well. We don't give too much away. I well, guess, this is it. Yeah, that yeah. show. Um, but I mean that noise from the attic. If you, yeah. if you will recall, absolutely terrified the hell out. And I was just off a plane from Australia, so I was a bit oh, jet lagged. Jangly, that's not good. That noise that, that you and I understand what it is, yeah. uh, absolutely terrified the life out of me. And I couldn't work out how it was functioning. And of course, it's dead simple. Yeah, um, like everything else, you know, yeah. Like everything. Like the other wonderful bit where that gauze, which hides everything. Yeah. Um, and then you light it from behind, and suddenly it becomes something completely different. You know, the, yeah. the stair when he climbs the stairs, and then he goes along the platform at the back, uh, and then it's backlit so you can see him through the gauze. You had no idea that that platform was there until it was backlit. It was so simple. Yeah, and it feels suddenly when the gauze is lit from behind, it feels like there's this vast depth to yes, the right. stage and there's that's loads right. going on that we didn't even yeah. think about. And that's yet right. it's still really simple. I mean, it's furniture, yeah. isn't it, really? That's right. 
and and really? you know and, and and the wonderful thing of the, the the furniture and the gravestones all being being the same yeah. thing basically. Brilliant. And you know what else I love is that the the because we know that it's going to be scary. Then as a new audience, we sit down and we're kind of already on edge. Yes. So that you know that first line or the first line from the young actor. He yeah. says, "This is intended to be of interest." I take it's, it he's behind yes. everyone. Behind Everybody jumps. Them. Exactly. You know, exactly. it's not anything scary that's happened, but we're just ready. No. We're kind of like, "What's uh, going to happen here?" Exactly. And that funny little, rather musty old theatre in a basement—it makes you feel like that anyway. Yeah, um, I mean, it's the perfect space for it. it. It's completely the perfect space, um, and yeah, everything kind of conspires in, yeah. in the right direction for it. I mean, even the bit, the bit where. The young actor lies down on the skip and falls asleep. Oh yeah. Um, and and then suddenly sits up as if you know suddenly woken out of a out yep. of a deep sleep. And I, when I did it with with wonderful Tim, who I did it with, I used to time him every night. I was standing over on the other side, and mm. after he got past about fifteen seconds, I'd think, Tim, come on, come on, you're going to lose this if you don't suddenly sit <laughs> yeah, up. Don't milk just it get, too just much. Get, just, just get on with it. Uh, um, so you and, did it in uh, two thousand. Six, I did it in 13, 13. 13? Why did two, I think two thousand, two thousand thirteen to 14 for nine months. Right. Um, but that that was always a great... And again, it's just expectation. You know, somebody is lying there in the dark and you don't yeah. know what's going to happen. Then they suddenly sit up and yell. And and, the, and when honestly, Brian, you, you stand up on that stage when you've got you know, 100 parties of 150 teenage girls there. The yeah. noise, it's, like, it's worse than panto. It knocks you off your feet. It's yeah. terrific. It must be quite um, challenging to to time that out then, because you can't just leave big gaps. I suppose it's like working with laughter, but you know that screaming yeah. and everyone loses. You know they really get jangled, and then you have to keep bring it back, don't you? Bring it back again. I know, but um, I don't. You do? Do you know the wonderful story about them doing it in Dublin? I don't know whether I can. I don't know whether I can just say this because it doesn't. It does include the F word. Am I allowed that? Oh yeah, you can say whatever. No, you that's want, okay. Yeah. Oh, that's fine. But there's, apparently this, they were doing it in Dublin, and I think the second half there had been um, refreshments taken, shall we yeah, say, yeah. in the interval, and um, on about the third or second or third occasion when the young actor goes to open the door, you remember the bit, and sometimes yeah, it opens course. the door, and the voice, male voice, came up. Um, from the audience saying, oh, holy Mary, mother of God, don't go near the fucking door. <laughs> <laughs> the inimitable Crawford Logan there talking about the women in black, one of my favourite plays to watch. Simple old theatrical tricks, that's what we were talking about, that's what got us onto that that line of conversation. Um, and before that, Tory Burgess talking about the brilliant Pride and Prejudice sort of um, credit, of course, to, to Isabel MacArthur for writing it and everyone involved with Blood of the Young and everyone that uh, was involved in putting that on, a tremendous show. So now, what about a wee bit from Saskia Ashdown, a wee bit about the more recent production of Lament for Sheku Bayo, um, a show that became... I mean, if it was possible for it to become more important, I suppose it did become significantly more important after the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis. And um, in a sense, that was, if there was a good time for it to to come back, that was a great time um, to further kind of bring our attention uh, to to the tragedies that are happening, the atrocities that are happening at the hands of police to people of colour all over the world. Um, so it's nice to revisit this and to, to remember how important that was, and especially because Saskia talks with such clarity 
and and great insight about this stuff um it was great to have her on the show at that perfect moment just as that show was about to go out if you didn't see it um if you if you ever get a chance to see it then do get it back out of the archives i don't know where it is now but i, I did see it at the time um these things do have a, a way of kind of weaving their way back onto televisions or into cinemas or whatever so hopefully there's another chance anyway um let's hear saskia talking a little bit about that production and its significance How's it all going in rehearsals? It's really lovely. Yeah, so nice to be back in a room, um, even though we can't touch each other. It's oh. all very strictly COVID, as you can imagine. But of course. Yeah, there's very much a sense of gratitude that we're in work and back in the room and seeing real people and in a building that we know oh. and love. How long have you had? Um, we've been in just since Monday this week, so five right. days. And then we've got one other five-day week of rehearsal, and then we're into tech and recording. So the the performance is going to be 100% live and streamed? Yes, it's being filmed as live and is going out a week after we record it. Right, okay, okay. So there's a, there's a tiny margin for kind of error or edit, but not much at all. So we'll be recording one week, and then it will go out a week after, but we're performing it as live in that we won't be able to go back and do it a hundred times if we don't like one take. Sure. Um, it'll be as if there'll be a live audience there. Wow. So it's, mm. a, it's a similar similar pressure to what we're used to, but and yet quite different. Yeah, 100%. Um, I think it's it'll be strange to not have that kind of reaction that we're used to with an audience, but gosh, I don't know. I think maybe it'll feel like a dress rehearsal where there'll be people in there and you'll get that faint clapping that's sparse between about five people and you'll go, okay, <laughs> yeah. does that feel like a good one? I hope so. But <laughs> of course, it'll be going out the next week. Wow. So th- this is a show that's been on before in front of an audience. It has, yeah, in rehearsed reading form. Uh, that was last year at the Edinburgh International Festival. And it was three days with three post-show talks, three very intense post-show talks. I bet. Um, and I think this time round it's going to feel a lot less intense um, because I really noticed last time that I was carrying around so much anger. And I remember thinking after three days of performance, like, wow, how am I so exhausted? It's only been three days and, you know, the post-show talks were a bit much, but why am I mm. so exhausted? And I realised that it was carrying around this real emotional weight that is far more exhausting than any physical exhaustion that I've experienced. Yeah, of course. And yet, in a sense, it's heightened again because of the death of George Floyd. Oh, yeah. Oh, it'll be a completely different kind of piece now that um, the Black Lives Matter protests have been so prominent over the world. Which is presumably why it's back. Well, it was always going to come back because right. I I think that we all share the a similar sentiment that it doesn't require the whole world to be concentrating on one thing for us to want to spread the word and to say Sheku Bayo's name. Yeah. Um, but I think it's it's going to have a lot more power behind it now that um, people are talking and making noise and it'll be really interesting to see the difference in dynamic I think yeah of course I mean what what do you say to people who this is all a bit formal isn't it but (laughs) it's just the kind of I guess the subject matter and I want to get into a wee bit more about about you as well in more general terms Uh, but let me ask you first what do you say to people who kind of give off the impression that that Black Lives Matter kind of just started or started with the death of George Floyd? Well, I think the people who believe that are sitting in an immense place of privilege to have not noticed that this has been going on for so many years. It's not something that's come back. It's something that never left. Yeah. And there, there's been activism all over the world 
bubbling for what I suppose you could call under the surface in that people perhaps haven't noticed it or haven't felt its importance but it's happening all the time and I think with social media and having access to video cameras and all of these things having the chance to go viral and to spread the word in that sense that's why every time a tragedy happens every time there's a murder by police of black men black people mm. we see it instantly and it spreads it spreads quickly and i think that that can be a benefit in that people who might not usually know about it are knowing about it but also it's such a spread of trauma and there's this sort of there's this shock that of course we get when we see a video like that that makes people compelled to share it but of course every time that's shared you're watching that and you're feeling that trauma all over again so if you're someone who has known that this has been happening for so long is very aware of it then for every new person that this happens to i think there's a difference between knowing that a horrific event has taken place and actually sharing this horrible footage mm. of what's happened and um i think yeah i think we all need to be very careful about the way that we share that footage and how traumatic it can be for people for it to pop up on a feed without expecting it Listen, we've no shortage of passionate and intelligent guests on this show from one to the other. I'm not even sure how to make this transition, but I didn't want to go straight from one to the other in case you were confused about who was talking um, without any warning. But anyway, that was the wonderful Saskia Ashtown talking with, with clarity and with brilliance about Lament for Shekabayo and, and everything that surrounds that. And now to talk a bit about her uh, education work and other work and just to bring us some of the amazing energy that comes with Lucy Hutchison. If you ever spend time with her or even if you listen to her episode, you'll know what I mean. So here we go. Let's have a wee bit of Lucy Hutchison in her ears. Why not? Yeah. So what's the kind of what was the trajectory for you from Village of Fifty Seven to, yeah. to now? Because you're still you're still doing stuff. You're still you've never stopped. Yeah, I know. But what? How did it all kind of come about? I said that the other day to somebody. I was like, I said I think I think it's a mate. I said to my friend who was like, it's hard. What? When are we gonna not do this anymore? And I was like, I think that we're probably we'll probably do it forever. I was like, I feel like <laughs> yeah. I don't. I think I've missed the point of stopping well, what else are you going to do now what else are we going to do now really who's going to have us i know what else can we do yeah. i mean we could probably do loads of things but i think i've not i'm happy i've realized i'm happy as long as i am working in something that's creative and i love education mm -hmm. i love theater education children's theater and i've been lucky enough to do that alongside doing a panto at christmas or doing mm -hmm. a little two-week show in the summer or a tiny like two days of filming somewhere so mm -hmm. i can even if i don't feel like i've got a huge year filled with work as long as i'm doing some work and working with other people mm -hmm. you know just now i'm working um for disney which is amazing and there's a big team of us and i love that the training for it was brilliant because there was about eight eight to ten learning a brand new skill learning how to put on a disney musical with um sort of disadvantaged schools in Glasgow which is right. amazing and they were um, picked out from hundreds of schools that applied for it right so yeah I just really love that I love putting musical theatre and education together because it's something that I take for granted I just go oh everyone does everyone sings and dances and acts but they don't they, <laughs> they really, really don't, don't. Yeah, they really don't. <laughs> and they funny. have no idea and they don't and they're the best thing about it as cheesy as it sounds is that it you can see 
little tiny changes in people immediately yeah. that thought that they couldn't. We're, we're doing and um, we're working with the teachers so that they can feel confident in putting on their own shows. Mm-hmm. And so more, I've seen children growing and changing and saying, oh, we had a little boy the other day saying, I said, um, can you give me some feedback about how you felt today was? And he said, oh, I, uh, actually, I thought I wanted to be a footballer, but uh, I think I want to be an actor now. And just like Whoa. a tiny, I was just like, yay. But that's probably more common for me to hear rather than a teacher. Because for us to learn new skills, I was thinking about it and I was like, okay, if someone came in and said, Lucy, I am going to teach you how to do a science experiment mm-hmm. and you're going to watch it once and then you're going to teach it next week to 30 children, I'd be like, are you insane? Mm. And I'd say, can you go through it really specifically? Because I need to really know what I'm doing. Do you know what I mean? I would, yeah. I wouldn't have a clue. And I'm going like, this is how you teach a dance, and they're like, what? Mind blown. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's actually equally as rewarding, if not more rewarding, to watch a teacher who was really shy and mm. would never have. Because also, you've got to be quite vulnerable. You've got to make up your own choreography or your own drama games or you know it's quite a vulnerable place to be which i think yeah and be prepared to look daft let look which really, teachers yeah. don't do a lot i think yeah or try not to do probably yeah that's really true actually because there's this sort of authoritarian business that's a big part of it yeah yeah that's true and to see um the children to see them in a different light yeah so they're like oh we can't you can it's we were had a couple of games that i was like this is you can have fun you can just be yourself have a total laugh and then you can get them back and have the discipline at the end of the game yeah like you it's possible to do both it is possible to do both yeah and i think that yeah i mean i'd love to learn more about it i love all the different teaching techniques and Mm -hmm. kind of trying to get the best out of people but that's the bit the teachers were like oh i led the warm-up and it was awesome and they (laughs) loved the song i picked and they were all laughing and she hadn't lost any respect i think you're right i think that yeah she gained respect because they thought oh she's actually you know, really we're, fun. We're dealing with a human being here. Yeah, yeah. Like when you see your teacher at Asda, like, oh, what, you've got trainers, what? I know. You have a, <laughs> you have a life, look at you walking about. After that, I auditioned for Birmingham Rep. Um, I started to take myself as reading about acting and going to see lots of stuff. Yeah. And I managed to get a job at the Birmingham Rep, which I knew had a reputation for people like Derek Jacobi and Olivia, I think, was there. Mm. Uh, and various other well-known actors. And, uh, and I auditioned... Uh, for Midsummer Midsummer Night's Dream and got one of the parts of the mechanicals and did a couple of other plays while I was there. It was it was a great a, a great opportunity to get a grounding in it. And of course, not only was I playing uh, reasonably reasonable sized parts, I was surrounded by professional actors yeah. you know, who knew what they were doing. And in fact, my mate at the time was was Bunny May, who uh, who had been a child actor, so he'd been at it for years. He was about my age at that time, but. You know, I'd seen him <laughs> as Noddy in Toyland years you know, when I first went to London and he'd been playing that for years. But he was a lovely, lovely guy. We, we shared a flat and stuff. We became great mates. And, uh, and I saw him quite a bit afterwards, but then time went by. I didn't see him anymore yeah. after that. So, uh, yeah, so that, that, was, uh, that was Birmingham Rep. Uh, so there was a rep company at that time that you joined for a period of time? Absolutely, yes, I did. Uh, it was like the spring season. They'd just done their Christmas show, so I did the season from after the Christmas show right to the beginning of the, uh, to the end of spring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. it was lovely. It was a great experience, really great. And we had a visit from Olivier, who was also a, an ex-member of the Rep. He was doing uh, Othello, uh, and it was on tour. It was opening out and uh, opening up uh, uh, in Birmingham. Uh, and when he was in rehearsals there, he came to see the play we were doing, which was uh, amazing. Messenger play uh, called uh, City Madam, 
right. and he came backstage and he was just utterly delightful and you know saying how much he enjoyed it so you know, wow that's so amazing no it was just lovely yeah, that, that just, just to get that, that, that whole, you know, from the sublime to the ridiculous, basically, you know. Well, yeah, yeah. A few years ago, I was at Butler's. And then, now I'm shaking your hands with Olivia. You know. That's the that's the way. There's another story to that as well, but that which happened later when I was rehearsing a play um, eight years afterwards, uh, and it was being directed by Olivia's son, Richard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we rehearsed, day one, we rehearsed in the Olivier's house in Chelsea. <laughs> oh, God. And, he's, and in the afternoon, uh, Richard said, uh, Dad's, Dad's upstairs. He'd love to meet you all. He's a bit bored now because he hasn't worked for a few, couple of months or so. Right. So down came Olivier and just held court. And he was just a delight. He just sat on the sofa and regaled us with stories and stuff. It was just lovely. So, so yeah. That was, Amazing. That was a treat. You didn't think I'd let two, episode 200 go by without revisiting some of the great stories from the wonderful Peter Kelly. What a joy. What an amazing man. This podcast has given me the opportunity to speak to living legends, you know, um, to speak to my peers um, and people who are starting out who are maybe closer to the beginning of the road than even me, uh, but also to speak to people like Peter who's had a 60-year career in theatre and television. And it's just, it's an honour to just sit and, you know, the job's even easier. The more, the the older the person is and the longer they've been in the, the business, the easier my job is because I just sit back and listen. And for me, it's just a privilege. I don't, you know, it's not a chore. I just, I just have to sit and listen. It's so easy. And I'll always have that. So I'm grateful to you for, for listening to keeping it going, to give me that chance. Um, I, I'm happy that I get to be that guy. So it gives me... Um, so many different opportunities really and one of them is to have first of all to have worked with Colette Del Chancho and also to have become great friends with her and to have done a couple of podcasts with her and also we're considering more for the future uh, something that we've never we've never quite finished yet but we have a thing in the works that we'd like to do she's taught me so much um and we've just we just hit it off you know that way where you you work with someone and you find common ground and then you just it just works and we're we've become remarkably close friends you know more since lockdown i suppose this is what happens with lockdown you find relationships that that weren't as strong maybe or whatever things build and unexpected things happen anyway we're the best of pals now we talk almost every day and uh, yeah i wanted to revisit a wee bit about what she brought to her second appearance on the podcast uh, so she had been on it some time ago a couple of years back um and she talks she talks amazingly about her family and also just just stories and stuff that's that's happened to her in the business over the years so here we go let's have a wee bit of Colette Del Chacho well we were on we were on zoom weren't we mm-hmm. and just having a chat and I was in the kitchen making some food and we were talking about um what were we talking about the river dance oh yeah <laughs> And I was like, oh, my God, that's my childhood. And, da, da, da. and for some reason, I felt like really compelled to show you how much of my childhood it was. And I wanted to show you one of the moves. We're both <laughs> going, his... <laughs> me jumping around my, my kitchen with a knife yeah. in my hand. Don't do that. No. Anyway, so I do put the knife down to do one of his famous kicks. And it was like a forward flutter kick. Did you put the knife down? I thought you were holding it. 
I did put the knife down, but I put it on the other end of the chopping board, which oh. was half off the, 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 the counter. Oh, my God. So I went to go show you, but I wanted to, you know, really elevate because my yeah. my, my my camera was higher up. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> and so I held on to the chair and I put my hand on the chopping board, the of part course. that wasn't on, on, on the counter. Of course. And yes. I pushed and I went straight down. Brian, I was so up. confused why I went down and not. <laughs> <laughs> I was aiming for up. Why have I gone down? I was just laughing. I just disappeared. I was so embarrassed. <laughs> I was so mortified, like for a second. And you then I remembered it was the you. Knife. I know because so I, I that's looked... why I thought you hadn't put it down. I was like, oh, you, you right, were dancing no, with that knife, no. as far as I was concerned. No, I I picked it up. I saw it fly next to me and oh, land on the floor. You were lucky. You could have been hurt. I know. I did imagine the other day. I was like, what if that knife went straight into my thigh? Or eye? No, it didn't. Uh, it wasn't that high enough. Well, it didn't go in your thigh either. So we can imagine whatever we want. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hypothetical. So, Are you a creative? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like what would Peter Brook do? <laughs> Oh boy! But you what do your own you solo work as well. Yeah, yeah, dreamer. Tell me a bit about that. How that goes and what what you present. Oh, it. Gosh, you know, this is gonna sound really <laughs> assholey again because I'm talking to you. But I've said this so many times. I'm so tired of explaining. <laughs> <laughs> Just say the exact the thing that you always trot out. Well, it's a it's a combination of different things. The two approaches. <laughs> It's a story about the... Uh, no, I shouldn't say it like that. It's serious. Um, okay, be sick. Come on. Well, it's a, it's my solo show um, about the joyful and traumatic stories of black women in Arabia. Right. And their, their emancipation, not only mentally, but, you know, socioeconomically. Mm-hmm. If, yeah, I can say that if that is a word. And um, you were brought up in Kuwait. Yeah. Yeah, from, yeah. From birth or? Yeah, I was born and raised and my mother's Kuwaiti. Right, but your dad's Cameroonian. Yeah. Right, that's right. But you didn't actually spend any time in your in your childhood living there. In Cameroon, no. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. Right. Uh, we visited um, and had a, a ceremonial sacrifice at the hut of my ancestors. Brian, it sh- sounds like a joke, but it's not. <laughs> no, I'm with Before you, you start laughing. I believe you. I think we we probably talked about it before, but yeah, go for it. Yeah. Uh, So we did all of the necessary things. Um, Funnily enough, um, a lot of it I get to incorporate in my work because my dad used to take photos um, and he captured a lot of it when we went back. Um, I now wonder why he took so many, but I like to think that he knew that they were useful for us, perhaps. Yeah. I don't know. So your dad had you all burnt out then? So it was a show called Islander, um, which I did. Oh, it was yeah. like an a cappella musical, which I had toured the year before to like the Hi- Highlands and Islands, which was great. Um, wow. And then we took it to Roundabout uh, at Summerhall mm-hmm. in the Fringe. And great then we took venue. it to Southwark. Um, but it's just that way. It's It was, we, div- we devised it. The, the, um, 
the cash recordings coming out. I should probably say that the cash recordings coming. Oh out yes, tomorrow. I saw you doing a sort of a like jam it. with instruments. So it's a cappella in the in the show. It's totally a cappella, and we use a loop station. Oh, cool. So we've got a couple of like bass notes mm-hmm. um, to get us into it, and then we record everything live and loop it. Oh, that's so fun. Yeah, it's it's really cool. I had never. I mean, I don't play guitar, and I don't, or I'm not really like a massive musical creation person so i'd never used any looping technology before at all mm-hmm. so when we got into the show we had like two or three weeks to make it and i was like oh my god i don't have a, I don't have a clue what's going on here what is this instrument I that must no have been idea. a steep learning curve for you G- genuinely and the show didn't exist like there was no mm. songs and um, so it was all finn anderson the composer amazing and mm. Stuart. everybody just, they just made this show around myself and bethany tenick um just two actors and it was like what is it now it was an hour and 15 minutes um and it's just an hour and 50 minutes straight through, no leaving the stage. I mean, our ladies of Perpetual Sucker, I understudied for that a couple of years ago, was an hour and 50 minutes straight through. So it could have been worse. Of course, yeah. yeah. Um, but it was just, I think we were just got to the stage, we'd done it so many times that I think like my perfectionist anxiety thing had just kicked in because I was like, there's nothing left to fix. So what can I focus on? Oh, I'll just focus on myself. What's wrong with me? Ooh, that's bad. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't nice. And I'd never like, I'd never dealt with performing anxiety before, Mm -hmm. or I I probably had, but I hadn't realized what it was. Yeah. It was all quite new to me. So then when I started experiencing this, I literally thought I was dying. Yes. I didn't know what was going on. And then obviously I couldn't leave the stage because that wasn't, part of the show yeah so it was just trying to work through that and it just it just kind of just kind of bur- it just burned me out i think a bit so you did it you kind of feel like you did it so many times that you got beyond the thing of fixating on something in the show and then it's just you this is my theory yeah. right that's a good theory because i know what you mean because for me like in tech and previews and actually for the first let's say week if you're doing a show constantly i don't have time to think about myself Yep. so it's great because I'm like stressed but I'm stressed in a sort of productive way mm-hmm. and then in sort of week five or six of, of a run it's it can be autopilot so as you say the mind just can wander mm-hmm. um, but you'd never experienced that before I think no I had like I had experienced it before I just haven't done a show as many times as I had done this one right um, so then it did it just like it it started focusing like on health things it started making me think that something was wrong with me or that I was ill ah um so then it made me think that i had to leave the stage right so it's a sabotage thing isn't it oh totally yeah just totally. to get you out of the situation yeah it's total fight or flight thing which i just for some reason i just had never it's just i just never really experienced it before properly yeah so then I was just like, what is this? So I've kind of been using, which has been nice, like, this is a really selfish thing to say, but because we've had no theatre over the past, you know, six, seven, six months, whatever, mm-hmm. um, the I've kind of, I have used this time to kind of work on that, mm-hmm. really. Well, that's great. Because I've not had the pressure of having to work through it with a show, which I think is would also work in its own way and will, you know, come about at some point. But just, it's just kind of given me time to, try and process that and work out because i mean like, at the end of the day like i think anxiety is trying to tell you that something's something's wrong like it's not wrong but there's a message in it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's trying to tell you that there's something you need to deal with yeah so i've kind of been trying to listen to that and see what happens that's interesting because you know my
Kirsty Findlay. What a brilliant talent. And uh, it was I was so fascinated hearing about Islander. I really wish I'd seen it. The soundtrack, is, as she said, is available on all your major music platforms. Um, and there's some beautiful music in it. Um, created by, in part at least by the, the amazing Finn Anderson, who also was on the show. I say created in part because, as you know, it was created uh, in the process with the cast as well, with the, the brilliant Bethany Tenick. So um, that brings us, I don't know if it neatly brings us anywhere, but where we're going to go is we're going to chat to the lovely Reuben Joseph and just get a wee bit of a sense of early career, about, about college and about uh, coming out of college and that first job and what that feels like. I get a lot of messages from from young actors, performers, writers, whoever, um, who are about to come out of training and want to know what's that like? How do I navigate that? So it's good for us to have a wee nod to that. Um, And just to hear a wee bit of Ruben's experience, he went to Langside College and then got his first job. And yeah, it's just I'd like to reflect on that. And I'm looking forward to hopefully working with Ruben um, in the future as well. I believe we might be working together quite soon. I won't say any more about that, but he seems to be doing extremely well um, and I'm delighted for that. So let's hear a wee bit from Ruben about those early days. So so did you go straight from school into some sort of college or drama school? Yeah, I went to Langside College, ah. which was well, formerly Langside, now Glasgow Clyde College. Of course, yeah. Um, but yeah, so did the acting course there for three years. With DLM. Oh, yes, with DLM. Do you know him? Uh, a little bit. I, I MD'd a panto for them a few, maybe 10 years ago, actually. Oh, God. Um, and he was using current and past students. It was a professional panto that was at St. Andrews at the Bayer. Oh, I see. But it was kind of like using the college... It was partly college production, partly professional or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was involved in that. So we worked together for a little bit. Nice one. But there's a lot of good people have gone there. Yeah. Started out there. Yeah. De- it seems to be... I don't know. At one time, it seemed to be like, you know, starting school for the RCS. Do you know, like... Yeah. Um, Like, I applied for all the drama, sco- um, drama schools. And then, like, after, like, my first year, I still applied. But you know what? I'm so... In retrospect, I'm so happy. Like... They, they they say the school's got to be right for you as well. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? So I feel like Langside was the perfect environment in which it was very like safe to fail, and yeah. you could also get away with some cheeky stuff that might not fly elsewise. But yeah, like so you can get some of that stuff out of your system in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was I. It was the perfect environment um, for you, and we also do all the. We did like. Um, we we crewed other shows and built the set and stuff and um made props yeah. and props and everything for other years so it kind of it's a good base kind of layer in terms of if, if people realize like a year in like oh acting's not for me but i really enjoy the 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 crew elements or the directing it kind of gives you it was a good space to give you like a chance to like flex your creative muscles and be like oh what else can i do and what else do i enjoy doing of course yeah and were you were you saying you were applying for other places whilst you were there year on year yeah because i don't know it was drilled into my head that so talking about like how spider-man watching that was my influence the other influence big time was growing up was doctor who and then you see and then you hear about I remember seeing like David Tennant and then finding out, oh, he's from he's from Glasgow. That's near me. Oh, he went to this school, and he's and he's Doctor Who. That's what I'll do. And I, you just had it kind of drilled in your head, drilled in your head by myself that that's that is <laughs> yeah. the mark that is the the benchmark for success is going to drama school, and it kind of became a point of oh, why am I doing this? Am I applying for drama school because I want the training or am I doing it because I think that is the measure of success and not to knock those, that's what you do yeah, yeah not to knock 
those schools or actors that come out of the schools, they're brilliant and so necessary. But, but yeah, I think for me, it was more about the perceived success of getting to drama school because that was that's the that's how you show that you're you're good enough to be an actor yeah but yeah kind of so so did you not go in the end no no i just went to i graduated langside in 2018 and i've right i've been very i've had a really lucky start yeah so what happened did you did you get uh, signed by an agent when you did a showcase or something um yeah we got to do a showcase in the end of our third year and managed to get signed from an agent and was really lucky. I started um, auditioning, and my first gig was um, NTS did a remount of uh, Midsummer for the oh, yeah. Ed- uh, Edinburgh International um, Festival. So I, so I got to kind of I was doing I was doing the music as well in that show. I was kind of that that role was a bit of a go between because there was because um, before it was like a two hander and they upped it to a main cast of four and then a band of three. And I was kind yeah. of part of the band, so I was kind of jumping between singing songs and uh, playing guitar and, and cajon and like jumping into kind of wee bits, filling in, filling out wee kind of actory bits where they needed some mm-hmm. um, somebody to to do it. But it's a great kind of a job though, because you can show that you're capable of all those different things in one show. Yeah, yeah, totally. But my God, it's a great. It was a great first job, and got to learn so much. But um, from like other actors, there was Benny Young. Um, was kind of on that as well, and he's such a great actor to to watch. In terms he's amazing, of, yeah. Oh, I, not enough good words for that man in terms of yep. what how it is to lead a company, and like the process of working. But I think the entire time it was like my first job, and even for the f- like next few jobs after that, I just had such a panicky feeling the entire time of I don't know what I'm doing, and they're gonna find <laughs> yeah. out. Ruben Joseph, <laughs> if you want to hear more about the panicky feeling, uh, which is called I Don't Know What I'm Doing and They're Going to Find Out, then you can listen to the full episode featuring Ruben Joseph. And you can listen to any of the episodes you've just heard on the any podcast platform, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, as I say, um, a, a few of the episodes from the last, I think the last three months are still... Uh, missing in action somewhere. They're somewhere in the ether. They're on the internet. I don't understand it all. But I've got people who do. And uh, they are coming back. They are coming back. Um, But most of these episodes you've heard, the little clips have been from shows that were a little bit before the dropout. So I would say they're all available right now. Um, And if not, they'll be available in the next day or so. So that's been our little clip show. Um, I wanted to revisit some of the cool moments. I mean, there is no way to pick, you know, the best or to cover everything. There's no way. But I did want to make sure that that women got a good voice. I wanted to make sure that people of colour got a good voice. Um, and I'm trying to do that with... I mean, you'll probably notice I'm trying I'm trying really hard to do that as much as I can with this show. Um, with varying degrees of success. And um, I just... I, we always have to try harder with that stuff. Um, and I hope that when theatre comes back that we've got... We've, we can go further with that. And that perhaps this reset or this hiatus has given us a chance collectively to think about the importance of that. Um, speaking of which, I watched, well, I'm not finished yet. I started watching a thing called Starstruck, Starstruck on BBC iPlayer. And I was really taken by how well cast it was and uh, diverse. And it felt like 
it felt like it was a show about women made by women in a proper way and also that the casting was was pretty diverse and and not too much um i don't know it didn't lean on that fact it just was um and not as ever i'm concerned that i'm not using the right words or expressing this properly but i just wanted to say that i was impressed by that um and you kind of look at stuff like that and you go oh see well it's totally possible and why are we not doing it all the time um but it, it it's good it's just good to see stuff that's women in the lead roles it's made directed created written by women um loads of women behind the camera and loads of really well written female characters in it and also um just diversity racial diversity all over the place fantastic um and a good show you know a a really watchable uh piece so yeah worth a look so yeah i hope that we can do be conscious of that more and more going forward in theatre but and also on this podcast and if you can help me with that or if you have things you want to say to contribute to that conversation then please do you can catch me on social media pit cc pod on instagram and twitter you can directly email me if you want brian at putting it together cast.com uh and we're on facebook putting it together cast and what else you can follow me brido hingway on all social media channels b-r-i-d-o-h-i-n-g-w-y brido hingway for a bit of uh comedy content and a bit of a laugh if you want a laugh you know sometimes you need a laugh come on give yourself a break as dave anderson would say uh so yeah give me a wee follow i'm doing tiktok now i'm trying to figure it out and i'm i'm getting there in fact the last time i spoke to you i was saying oh i don't know what's going on i am actually starting to make a little bit of headway with tiktok not nearly as much headway as some people are making uh, it's amazing the numbers there are amazing like how many people watch videos there must be just probably i don't know tens of hundreds of millions of people on it i i don't know when numbers get really big i just get lost but yeah come and follow me on tiktok if you're into it brido hang me it's a good way to waste your life um i'm discovering that so i that was my wee show and that's been my 200 shows next week is episode 201 but we continue our celebration of the first 200 uh, with putting it in the shed it's going to be a cool roundup of some of the great moments we had during Sheddenborough last august and uh, there is talk of more of that so uh, watch this space for more information on more podcasts after 201 like i told you we're going to have a little bit of a break uh, but we will be coming back i'm just going to recoup go and do some other work uh, take a little rest and come back stronger than ever I'm so delighted to have been able to bring it to you. Now listen, I've got a wee bonus treat for you. <laughs> I was speaking to Aaron about what to put in this show and he sent me a list of ideas and at the very bottom of the list it said, in fact I'm going to open the message to read it to you exactly. It said, BONUS in capital letters, Louise McCarthy, Mop Bucket Story, an absolute must have. So, This has been episode 200. I've been Brian O'Sullivan. This is Putting It Together, the Creative Conversations podcast. And we're going to be taken out by Louise McCarthy with a wee story about make-believe as a child and the lengths to which we took these games as young actors. Thanks very much for listening. Cheerio now. I mean, I was mad about the royal family growing up. Oh my god, I love it. So good, right? That's literally my granda. It's still good. I mean, I've rewatched it again and again over the years, and it, the writing's superb. They don't leave the living room. That's what I'm literally 
glorious. Like it's 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 genius. And it's in real time. Fiber. That's the other thing. Like it's half an hour. It's a half hour slice of their day, so it oh, never cuts. Brilliant. But the, when they did the later Christmas specials and stuff, they started introducing little montages and cutting to different parts of the day, and you go instantly for me the magic's gone. No, I know. And see if you sat as a writer, and don't get me wrong, I don't really use that term about myself very... Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's that way I go, I don't think I am at all. I just kind of like put my thoughts down. That's what we'll call it. I'm right. a put, put my thoughts down kind of person. But if you were to put your thoughts down about something where it was all set in the one room, you'd kind of like crap yourself a wee bit because you go, oh no, I can't keep that going for half an hour. And we need to bring go. somebody else in. Something needs to happen. There's a fire. <laughs> Aye, totally. We need drama. Like, yeah, but you don't. No, the drama's in the mundane, isn't it? Mm. It's amazing. And it's teaching yourself that. Yeah, I think those are hard learned lessons because what we do is we, we go epic. I mean, when we were kids making up shows it was like right you know it's like when you play houses then the house goes on fire and she falls out the window and you know everything's like massive and the helicopter comes we used to go then they get after each other so that we can get after each other (laughs) a very thinly veiled attempt at just getting after somebody she just went to kiss boys then they kiss (laughs) you're the dad having the mum right go (laughs) me and robert murphy like that (laughs) my mum's coming stop it I don't know. Oh my did, God, I was a hussy. Did we take those games more seriously than other people, though? I mean, like, the, the lengths I went to in, in make-believe games, I had a, a different name and I, I would describe what car I had when I was on my bike, you know? Oh, Brian, I've got a story, but I don't know if I can tell you. Well, you're going to have to, then we'll decide. <laughs> because, so you're saying about taking, like, games too far. We used to play the olden days, right? Ah, the olden days, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and maybe, like, put, like scarfs round or things like we old woman and all this and like the stones would be the potatoes and the <laughs> soil would be like your soup and all that and we'd make like dinners and like I took it so far I was like you can't go to the toilet people in the olden days don't have a toilet <laughs> so my sister's like alright like clearly she's not really up for doing this and I'm like nope nope sticking to my rules so <laughs> I, I shat my mum's mum bucket <laughs> shut up Swear on your life. I went for a jobby in my mum's mop bucket. <laughs> and then I was like, my sister, please don't tell my mum, please don't tell my mum. She was like, I promise I won't. I went, I'll give you my pocket money. <laughs> Literally, my mum opens the door. Louise did a jobby in the mop bucket. <laughs> I got severely. It was fucking wannies. <laughs> it was fucking Disgusting. <laughs> So you're talking about taking it too far. <laughs> There's no line with McCarthy. No, absolutely not. But that's that's been your saviour ever since. Because you're willing to cross the line, you know. I don't know if that's always a good thing. They, I love the logic as well, though. They didn't go to the toilet in the old days. They didn't have a toilet. They, no, they went, but they didn't have a toilet. No, but they don't go inside, Jacqueline. Don't go inside. I know, but could no. we not just stop the game and press pause and go and do the toilet? No. No, 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 no. No, if you're in it, you're in it. Absolutely. It's like Hamish Emlich used to say, but we were so poor we had a toilet with an outside house. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever see him singing with the guitar? No. Big fella, amazing. He sang uh, Cod Liver Oil and the Orange Juice and it's got lines in it such as, Harry Mary, are you dancing? And she goes, no, it's just the way I'm stoning. <laughs> he says, can I run you home? And she says, no thanks, I've got a pair of sand shoes. <laughs> 